Fear of the unknown is the greatest fear of all, and for millions of Americans, there is no greater unknown than Alzheimer's disease. I'm Dana Torito, a writer and Alzheimer's advocate. On my podcast, The Memory Whisperer, I strive to calm your fears about the disease through thoughtful conversations with experts, care partners, and more. Action is the antidote for fear. Listen to The Memory Whisperer on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Raquel Willis. Join me on my new podcast, Queer Chronicles, a show where LGBTQ plus folks tell their own stories in their own words. This season, teens will share all about growing up in political battleground states. We will always exist, and we will definitely not let them take away our joy, no matter how hard they try. Listen to Queer Chronicles on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your most fabulous shows. Hi, this is Shannon Doherty, host of the new podcast, Let's Be Clear with Shannon Doherty. So in this podcast, I'm going to be talking about marriage, divorce, my family, my career. I'm also going to be talking a lot about cancer, the ups and the downs, everything that I've learned from it. It's going to be a wild ride. So listen to Let's Be Clear with Shannon Doherty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. We run into the narcissism of small difference. Instead of focusing on what we can unite and coalesce around, we focus on what makes us more like niche. Hello and happy Wednesday, Beauty Translated listeners. This week, I am very excited about the conversation I have in store with Callie Williams. My guest is a trans woman based out of Austin, Texas. She is a talented writer and a brilliant mind. But what she is well known for more than anything is her meme page, where she produces her original content, which never fails to speak directly to the heart of discourse currently going on within the queer and trans communities. In the summer of 2022, I was thinking about my place in the world as a trans woman more than ever. I was reading books, engaging with online communities, And meme pages like Callie's at progesterone.barbie helped make sense of what I was experiencing in my life as a trans woman for the past 15 years. Well, I'm here today with the meme queen herself. You know her as Progesterone Barbie, but her name is Callie Williams. Welcome to the show, Callie. Hi, Carmen. How are you? I'm doing well. Good. I'm so excited to have you here today. Mm-hmm. You're one of my favorite meme pages. Well, thank you so much. And I want to get into your meme page and what kind of content you create. And then we're also going to be talking about some topics and whatnot. Mm -hmm. But I just have to say, like, I didn't really start connecting with my trans community until like the past year or so, which is also when like a bunch of other crazy shit has been going on within the trans community. And I found your meme page and I just immediately said like, holy shit, this person gets it. Yeah. You were an early follower, if I remember correctly. I think you were in that like first thousand people. So I initially started Progesterone Barbie, not for any particular motivation. I just thought I was could be funny. I'm a writer. Mm -hmm. I was having some serious writer block. 
And I had friends who made memes specifically around issues with gender, with mass media, and how those things kind of interact. And they said, sometimes when I'm struggling with like writer's block, I'll just make a meme because it's an easy way to distill an idea and put it out there. And I really kind of latched on to the concept of that. I, you know, as a philosophy minor in college, I think when I first started, it's like very low stakes, pointing out kind of silly things within the queer and trans community. And then it became something a little more. Yeah. For me, it's like you just hit on so many things that aren't being talked about, but are all being said in like this one picture, but with very few words. And that's what I think is really awesome about memes. And if that resonates with enough people, then it's going to get shared around. And I see your memes all the time in different people's timelines, which says to me that it resonates with a lot of people. I think that's like a product of two different things. One, I'm saying things that people want to hear. But also, I think there's this really tight-knit community, especially among trans women making memes, where we're all of a similar mindset. So we all like pal around and slide into each other's DMs and (laughs) occasionally we'll collaborate and do collaborative posts and things like that. But I thought like I was making low stakes. I wasn't looking to offend people. In fact, I was actively worried about offending People, I was actively worried about causing discomfort, et cetera, et cetera. So I was like holding my tongue a lot. But I think a lot of the current ethos of my page is really rooted in being really upset with how trans women in particular are treated, not only within our community, but in online spaces like Instagram. It's like a paternalistic attitude. And there's like a lot of like inner community policing. A lot of this is really rooted in that whole situation that happened with Hunter Schaefer, who plays Jules on Euphoria, very famous young trans woman. Probably, I mean, I think it's safe to say probably the most famous trans woman in the world. The the beginning of the sock versus gawk wars. (laughs) A lot of internet lore ahead. For those who are unfamiliar of what we're talking about here, the quote, sock versus gawk wars, as it has been lovingly named by trans women. It was all kicked off when a trans woman by the name of Jordan at Piggy Taiwan made a text post to her Instagram that many non-binary people took offense to. While many prominent trans women, including Kim Petras and Hunter Schaefer, were liking, sharing, and engaging positively with the post, thanking Jordan for finally saying what we were all thinking that many non-binary people who do not experience gender dysphoria and do not transition medically or socially outside of a change in pronouns and or possibly a new name like sock, mushroom, or tapioca are centering themselves constantly in conversations that are for transsexual people to be having as our rights and access to gender-affirming care are on the line constantly. I think it's worth reiterating here. Although Callie and I are poking fun as friends, we are talking about a very small portion of the community and ultimately young teenagers who are just trying to figure out who they are. Ridiculous as all the labels and pronouns may be, it's usually really just kids trying to figure out who they are with very little lived experience and lots of searching for their much needed validation in online communities. 
Another trans woman I really admire who goes by the handle Piggy Taiwan hosts a really great podcast called Deeply Unwell, made a text post that, yeah, amazing podcast, made a text post that I thought was a little misguided, but I thought the Mm -hmm. intentionality and the anger behind that text post were completely valid. It had to do with the governor of Florida, Ron DeSantis, essentially taking away HRT rights for individuals on Medicare. And I'm really tuned in to these like attacks on our community and especially when they're attacks on trans adults. And that's a deep concern to me. And at first I was a little shocked because I didn't see many people just in total outrage over it. But Piggy made this post that upset non-binary people and particularly (laughs) specifically non-transitioning non-binary people. And Hunter Schaefer, iconically posted (laughs) four exclamation marks underneath the post. And the rest is history. And she was getting dragged on Twitter. And it was this just really intense, visceral response that felt very misguided and misplaced. And I noticed Mm -hmm. that other meme pages who are normally quick to comment on these things, especially within our community, weren't really either defending her. In fact, some of them were just calling attention to it, maybe even dragging her a little bit too. And I just did not like that. Yeah, I don't either. There was like a time when people, I remember there was like a short time when the narrative was like, oh, Hunter Schaefer has been canceled. But it's like, no, actually, a lot of us feel that way. Right. It wasn't just her that was liking and comment. There were hundreds mm-hmm. and thousands of other trans women that were like, yes, right. we feel the same way. I think also just transsexuals in general. I have a lot of trans men that follow mm-hmm. my page as well. And so I was talking to a lot of people about this and I was like, should I make a meme set about it, even though I'm going to get dragged. And they were all like, I feel like this is all of the things we want to say, but are so afraid to say. And I was like, well, maybe that's the reason to address it. So I made some memes in regard to the situation, essentially saying like, why do we drag trans women so intensely when they speak, I guess, out of turn or not polite to a larger narrative yeah. about how yeah. we... Yeah, we're sh- often told to be quiet mm-hmm. or just say what we have to say, but be nicer about yeah. it. And those are probably still my most controversial posts. It's like 100 plus comments <laughs> under each one of them and people just getting angry at each other and me just trying to play mediator a little bit, try to bring some reason into the situation. I made some posts that followed up on it. Mm -hmm. And each time I feel like I was trying to be a little more reasonable. I was trying to reach people that maybe didn't know that they needed to be reached. They need to empathize with my position on it. And some of those people are still dragging me. So I think that was a point in my page's history where I realized that it's important for me to share my perspective And just accept the fact that some people aren't going to agree with that. So that was this like great kind of moment of freedom within the history of progesterone Barbie. Very short history, by the way. As I said, I've only been doing this since like (laughs) June, but there's so much lore already. There is. And I'm glad to have Mm -hmm. been around for a good bit of it. You know, I'm proud to say I fought in the sock versus cock wars. (laughs) I was in the comment sections. A lot of times what I found was the people that were taking fault with it were projecting their own kind of insecurities or feelings of invalidness onto a post that was really made meant to be more about how trans people are should be centered in these conversations, yeah. trans people who are transitioning. 
And because ultimately, we're the ones whose access gets restricted when we want care. I think this, and it shows this huge kind of difference in concerns, I think, among transsexual and non-transitioning, non-binary people is that there is this focus on language versus material concerns. Like getting (laughs) my HRT taken away if I was in Florida on medic would be a really bad situation. (laughs) Devastating. Devastating. I mean, yeah. I mean, life ruining. Not to mention the menopause. And I noticed that a lot of these people were just, again, so focused on the language within Piggy Taiwan's post when I think they should have been focusing on the subject matter at hand. Like, why is this trans woman so angry? And I think there's valid feelings all around, (laughs) but I just, I'm a fan of perspectivism. I think people need to like take in multiple points of view. And what I've recognized about our community in particular is there is this grand narrative that we're all supposed to align ourselves with. But all of us have really complex views on our own genders and our own transitions and our own just transness. And that's perfectly fine. (laughs) That's actually very human. I mean, it's a very human thing to have a complex view of yourself and how you exist within the world. Now, if you're completely unaware of the events in internet history we just discussed, consider yourself lucky. We're going to take a quick break here, listeners. When we come back, we're going to get into our discussion of identity politics and cancel culture. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Fear of the unknown is the greatest fear of all. And for millions of Americans, there is no greater unknown than what to do when faced with an Alzheimer's diagnosis. My name is Dana Torito, and my podcast, The Memory Whisperer, takes a closer look at Alzheimer's disease and those affected by it. Like many of you, I've experienced the disease firsthand. I've been an advocate and care partner for decades and have written extensively about the subject. Each week, I'll talk to people who've been personally affected by the disease and learn how they coped with it. Folks like TV personality Lisa Gibbons. Action is the antidote for fear. And nurse and dementia researcher Dr. Fayron Epps. We no longer can be silent. We have to speak up. We have to share our experiences so we can help each other and learn from each other. Listen to The Memory Whisper on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Hi, this is Shannon Doherty, host of the new podcast, Let's Be Clear with Shannon Doherty. You may know me from... 
let's see, 90210, Charmed, Mallrats, Heathers. You probably also know me from my stage four cancer diagnosis and sharing that journey with so many of you. There's something so authentic about a podcast. It's me connecting, me talking raw in the moment. That's what my goal is to give you, to talk about why I feel that cancer to a certain extent is a gift, what my responsibilities are as a person with cancer. Because I think that there's something so much bigger than me. And to be honest, I'm still trying to find out what that is. And maybe together, we'll find it. It's gonna be a wild ride. So I hope that you all tune in. Listen to Let's Be Clear with Shannon Doherty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And we're back. So before we continue with our talk, Kelly, I want to introduce the topics we're going to be discussing. The whole reason I brought you on the show, aside from the fact that I love the content you create, we, I want to talk to you about identitarianism and identity politics within trans and queer spaces. And I want to talk to you about cancel culture also, because those are things that your memes touch on a lot. And I, as somebody who exists online quite a bit, and in this season, I'm going to be talking a lot about like online spaces for trans people. I just want some people to understand like what happens in some of these online spaces and even in real communities where people's lives are impacted. I think something about my page allows me to get away with saying whatever I want without being canceled, which is interesting. But I think that's also just because like I don't respond to people's concerns. Yeah. Canceling takes two to tango sometimes and willing to just sit with somebody really hating your guts and not make a big deal about it. You're fine. (laughs) It really is that easy as I've dealt with cancellation even outside of my meme page. And I think I handled it in the worst way when I got canceled IRL because I did the whole public apology thing. I asked for an accountability process. I did all of that. And I cringe thinking about it now because it was so needless and stupid. And I added so much energy to all of it that was just unnecessary. And so there's a freedom And being on the other side of cancellation that I think allows me to make the type of content and say the type of things I say, because I can handle people having issues with me, especially on Instagram. Like my message requests are filled with these long paragraphs from people just critiquing my words, my values, what I stand for. And I often just leave them on red and it's fine. Sometimes I get annoyed, sometimes in a mood, especially when it's in my comments and I'll occasionally (laughs) reply and I have no problem calling someone Mm -hmm. a ridiculous person or stupid or whatever, because some people are ridiculous and some people are stupid. And yeah, maybe that's my opinion and my perspective on it. But, you know, that's what people show up for. They show up to my page because I try to be really honest with how I see things. That's why I resonate with your page because you're very authentic with your perspective, regardless of the Tinder queers who are in your comment section being mad about it. Some of the people that are like the biggest offenders of such types of politics are who we call in the queer community, we call them Tinder queers. Do you care to define what a Tinder queer is? 
Right. Getting back to just talking about like identifiers. I think gender queers are often those people that love to list every single facet of their identity, make that a cornerstone of their personality and seem to have these kind of shitty toxic behaviors where they're heavy into cancel culture and policing other trans and queer people's words and not really letting people have their own kind of individual perceptions of gender, even their own gender. And then they'll like tell you that they're for the complete opposite of that. There's a lot of cognitive dissonance between the way that tender queers think they're operating within our community versus how they actually affect it, which in my experience and my observations often are very self-defeating and actually end up hurting our community a lot more than, than helping it. Absolutely. It literally destroys any hope or any chance we have at solidarity and community before we can even imagine it, which is not the intent of cancel culture and identity politics. It's not to police your fellow neighbor. It's really meant to be applied to like the police and like corporations, people who have a lot of power, (laughs) typically. Yeah, I think that's true, Carmen. I think we run into the narcissism of small difference in which instead of focusing on what we can unite and coalesce around, we focus on what makes us more like niche and and trying to cultivate a much smaller and smaller space within a space instead of recognizing that we're all on the same team. They hate all of us. Yeah. And we spend so much time hating each other for what really are kind of like immaterial kind of differences. Yeah. Yeah, trivial differences between us. And that upsets me. I think a part of my page is trying to advocate for a radical form of empathy, not only like aggressively like sharing my own perspective as a trans woman and a fairly newly minted trans woman. Let's talk a little bit about identity politics. What are identity politics and how are they supposed to work when they are working correctly? (laughs) Well, identity politics are not inherently a bad thing Mm -hmm. in the sense that there is a strength in coalescing around identity, a shared common interest in relation to identity. The problem is that we've taken that concept, which historically is very politically potent, and we've bastardized it a little bit. And now it's become this Mm -hmm. thing where people within the same umbrella of a community are now like, bickering at each other and validating one another and just like da-da-da-da-da. And it's dividing us at this point. And there's like a huge part of it that is very motivated, I personally think, by like profit margins for large media companies where it's all about these division Mm -hmm. makes money. Divisive media is, I guess, more entertaining. I don't know. I think that's a balance I try to strike with my page where I will say something that maybe someone interprets as a little divisive. But I don't think I'm ever like too like horrifyingly mean. And I engage with people too sometimes. If they come in a good faith way, like if someone's just going to call me like a horrible human being, then I'm probably going to laugh. But if like someone comes like, well, here's my perspective on it. I might like indulge you a little bit. Yeah, it's all about your approach. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. If you're wanting to have a dialogue and a conversation, we can actually tell. But 
going back to like the identity thing, I think within trans and queer like online spaces, what I have seen this like translate to a lot are like the identities in bio, as many as you can get Mm -hmm. in the bio. And it becomes what feels to be like people are trying to do like oppression Olympics almost like who can be the most marginalized. Which is a bigger problem is that people have decided that like, I guess there's like social capital will being a marginalized person. I don't really understand that because in actuality and like metrically, and if you look at income levels and disparities and housing and all of these different metrics, marginalized people are are marginalized. That's the thing, right? And what I see is a lot of people taking upon like different identities. And sometimes I find it, I'm questioning if that is actually authentic. It's hard to take a man with a beard calling himself a trans woman. And Mm -hmm. I see that on TikTok all the time. And what Mm -hmm. disturbs me is it's like really well received. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, oh yeah, absolutely. People are in the comments. You look so beautiful, girl. You are so fish, honey. Yes. Work diva. It's like some (laughs) random otter in Bushwick. It's true. And it's like, and like the cis women in the comments are like, yes. It's like, cis men fuck me like I'm a cis man and it makes me dysphoric. And I'm like, you have a beard. You and have you're a beard. presenting, you're doing nothing right, right. for that. And like, let me, hold on, let me correct the record real quick. There are some like fishy trans women with beards. I just want to say that. I'm just like throwing that out there. But Absolutely. when you're like not even on HRT and that's like so readily apparent and you're doing nothing to feminize your appearance, but you're co-opting my identity. When I'm down in Texas and it's like a fucking struggle bus living down here as a trans woman is wild. And I think it often like correlates to where those people are in their environment and places like Brooklyn and Bushwick and the Bay Area and Seattle and Portland, they all tend to be Mm -hmm. communities that kind of really coalesce around these kind of nebulous concepts of gender and everything's like a performance and et cetera, et cetera, which Mm -hmm. in a lot of ways it is. I'm not like anti kind of gender as a performance. I'm not anti gender as a social construction. I just think it's like really silly that we have men and women, which like we can aesthetically define for generation upon generation. And we have non-binary people, which is a fairly new construct of gender, right? Right. And suddenly it becomes like, oh, but we're just as valid as you. And I expect everyone to understand me on the same level, even though we are bringing something very like new. And it's, it's like showing up to a baby shower without like a gift. And then like, yeah, (laughs) you know, eating all the food. Yeah, exactly. Where you're going with that. Absolutely. Like there's not really like a huge benefit to being necessarily seen as like a marginalized person. And it's like funny, like how they are almost like fighting for it. This is just my observation. But I feel like in recent years, we've shifted like the concept of gender exploration from like actual how we present our gender and stuff like that to more just like how we interact like socially and the language we use to like talk about people. How we define ourselves in our Instagram bio, right? Like, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It's something I've noticed too. And (laughs) it's going to be rude, but I feel like often different identities, specifically in the framework of like an Instagram bio or just replacements for having a personality 
I think we live in a really insecure world. And unfortunately, not everyone is on the same level socially. Not everyone's funny. Mm -hmm. Not everyone has a personality. And it's unfortunate, (laughs) but it's true. (laughs) I think you can work towards having a personality. I don't know. Yeah. People think identity and having various identities adds interest to you as a person. Or will give them a sense of belonging Mm -hmm. that they're looking for a lot of times. And I can totally understand that. You know, like I'm using my identity to A, have this podcast on iHeartMedia and talk to all of these other trans people about their lived experiences. But I think it's invalidating when the experience is conflated as somehow the same as my experience when you're a person who is is like gender non-conforming, for example. Yeah, I feel that being a trans woman, being a trans man, being just a transsexual in general is already this massive subversion of the gender binary in so many ways. Absolutely. And it's just interesting because we're not a meritocracy and I'm not saying like our community should be seen that way. I'm just saying that there are steps that certain trans people take in order to live a more authentic existence. And maybe that's getting on HRT. Maybe that's getting surgeries. Maybe that's presenting. I mean, it could just be like really presenting in a way that's opposite of your assigned gender. And that effort, that is effort. And it, I will say that it is a little annoying not only to have people who ostensibly present in a cisgendered way, not only like coming into your space, but also the fact that all of those people tend to be received better by, I think, mainstream media. Media, society. TikTok and like the algorithms and et cetera. I think I have just under 3,000 followers right now. That might change by the time this episode airs, but (laughs) just saying. (laughs) A lot of these like pages that I go after and goof on have hundreds upon hundreds of thousands of followers. I guess this quote unquote, like rational transsexual person is still fairly quiet. But I will say, I think there's far more of us than people are willing to give us credit for. And it's a shame. Like sometimes I'm watching what's happening to our community, especially among right-wing media and how we're, I mean, it's Mm -hmm. really scary right now. Gosh, if they just (laughs) talked to somebody who could actually articulate themselves without having to go through this language odyssey. Yes. I mean, I think there's empathy to be had and be created even among some of these really vitriolic people who seem to really want to do harm to our community. Yeah, because they seem to latch on to the most, I guess, let's call them the most like clown-like people (laughs) of our community. Yeah, clown self, clown and clown self, like people of our community who make up a very small percentage of our actual trans community. Mm-hmm. When in reality, the majority of the trans community are, like you said, it's more more often than not the rational transsexual who's just trying to quietly live their life yeah. and keep out of everyone's business, type of thing. But oftentimes, these people will like put themselves. They've just discovered what their new pronouns are. They've just discovered what their new funky way to present their gender is. And they're like voicing themselves, like presenting Mm. themselves as a voice for all trans people. It's like, this is really harmful rhetoric to me. And it's like, (laughs) what is it? Is it? Turn on Tucker Carlson. Like, get back to me. Like, come on. Like... 
And yeah, it, it is scary because the reality is just a couple of weeks ago, the Department of Homeland Security issued a domestic terrorism warning for LGBTQ. Mm-hmm. I'm also, I mean, just yesterday, I'm casually seeing this transmasculine person here in Austin who was interviewed for this story in the Washington Post about how our Attorney General Ken Paxton put out uh, essentially a request for data on transgender people living in Texas and refuses yeah. to explain why he wanted access to that data. And that's really scary. I mean, that's that's like some Nazi the shit, state right? In. Yeah, state I live yeah. in. Thankfully, I, I have not changed my gender marker on my driver's license yet just because I'm lazy. <laughs> but I yeah. think I'm going to wait until I'm, I'm thinking of moving from Texas at this point just because I am seeing the writing on the wall and the writing on the wall is not particularly good for trans people right now. In this state, at least. I think in other states, it's a different situation. Well, I hope that you come to Atlanta. We've talked about that. I like Atlanta. Atlanta's got a great energy to it. Yeah. I, think, I think you're a little safer just because Atlanta is just very much a purple state at this point. You can thank Stacey Abrams for that. Thank you, Stacey. <laughs> and yeah, and like I think Republicans there know to tow the lines they need to tow and not tow other lines. And one other thing I think I tend to see, and I don't know if this is a false observation or what, but we don't have a ton of like super, like tender queer, like please oppress me type of people in Atlanta. And I don't know if that plays a role at all. Yeah, but I think I have, I think I know why that is. Do you want Why is that? I think it's because like a lot of these scenes in places like Portland and Seattle are very white dominated. So you have this like mm-hmm. fragile nature to like the way the communities are built. And that's not really yeah. the case in Atlanta because it's a much more diverse city with a much more diverse... Oh, it's majority Yeah, black. exactly. Yeah. And like just interacting with like queer people in Atlanta and trans people in Atlanta, it's a very different vibe. So you could say the same for Washington, D.C., just very different vibes, better yeah. vibes, honestly, better little- vibes. Like, I hope Georgia stays safer. Yeah, I'm worried. That's I think that's my big worry is that I think there's a beauty to the relationship that queer people have with the South, and yeah, you know, it. I just don't want that ever to become impossible, and that's my concern because I really aren't, other than Georgia, states in the South anymore that are like, I think in the future at least, like politically viable for trans people. And even still, like Georgia has had its occasional bill pop up mm-hmm. to try and legislate against trans people, whether they've gone anywhere or not. But, you know, even still, it's always mm-hmm. going to be a possibility. Sure. And yeah, personally, I love the connection of the South and queerness. And I always remind people that the South is home to the largest majority of trans Americans. Don't type up those angry emails just yet, listeners. We're going to go on one last break here. And when we come back, Callie and I are going to give our closing thoughts. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from The Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. 
Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern. Only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Fear of the unknown is the greatest fear of all. And for millions of Americans, there is no greater unknown than what to do when faced with an Alzheimer's diagnosis. My name is Dana Torito, and my podcast, The Memory Whisperer, takes a closer look at Alzheimer's disease and those affected by it. Like many of you, I've experienced the disease firsthand. I've been an advocate and care partner for decades and have written extensively about the subject. Each week, I'll talk to people who've been personally affected by the disease and learn how they coped with it. Folks like TV personality Lisa Gibbons. Action is the antidote for fear. And nurse and dementia researcher Dr. Fayron Epps. We no longer can be silent. We have to speak up. We have to share our experiences so we can help each other and learn from each other. Listen to The Memory Whisper on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Hi, this is Shannon Doherty, host of the new podcast, Let's Be Clear with Shannon Doherty. You may know me from, let's see, 90210, Charmed, Mallrats, Heathers, probably also know me from my stage four cancer diagnosis and sharing that journey with so many of you. There's something so authentic about a podcast. It's me connecting, me talking raw in the moment. That's what my goal is to give you, to talk about why I feel that cancer to a certain extent is a gift, what my responsibilities are as a person with cancer because I think that there's something so much bigger than me. And to be honest, I'm still trying to find out what that is. And maybe together, we'll find it. It's going to be a wild ride. So I hope that you all tune in. Listen to Let's Be Clear with Shannon Doherty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And we're back. Callie and I are wrapping up our thoughts on chronically online behavior here. Okay, let's talk about cancel culture. They go hand in hand with ID politics, these hypervigilant spaces that we mm. create. What is cancel culture and how is it supposed to work? <laughs> well, like identity politics, cancel culture is has a complicated history where it initially started, I think, in a place that was good and that it was really an avenue for marginalized people to call out people in power. And cancellation was really just, you know, it wasn't attempting to just completely decimate reputations. And it was more of like a calling bullshit on powerful people. And I think that was a good thing. Mm -hmm. And then unfortunately, what I've noticed with cancel culture is it's become marginalized people canceling other marginalized people. And people that are heavy into cancel culture are really, really vitriolic about its like importance and how important accountability is. And to be frank, <laughs> I mean, I think accountability is bullshit, like as a concept. Like yeah. you can be accountable to yourself. You can work on yourself. Well, there was a recent cancellation of an account that that we know Let's of. Let's get into it. <laughs> the Softcore Trauma account cancellation was started by, I think, an account with how many followers? Like 80. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like 80 followers. Do, do you care to touch sure, on that yeah, a little I bit? Sure, yeah, I can talk about it yeah. because I think the situation's hilarious. <laughs> and you've made memes about it. I have about made it memes too, about so. it. 
So there's this page called Softcore Trauma, quite a popular page. They have nearly 300,000 followers. And it's like cute pictures of animals with like affirmative statements on it. It's not really funny. It's just meant to make people feel better. And it's run by this person who I'm not going to name her, but like it's run by this person who she also does like education things. She's apparently has a PhD in English Lit, which like, okay. And like, uh, but does like classes and things, I think, on social justice kind of topics. And that's her whole vibe. <laughs> she got in trouble because like, I don't, I'm still confused on why, but basically something to do with like her privilege as a white person and co-opting like concepts created like by black educators or something on, along that lines, but nothing that she had done like in an actionable way. Though I've heard stories about her. <laughs> people, pull, <laughs> when I made that post, people were like popping into my DMs and saying, no, like, I don't want to drag her too much on this page. She's very sensitive. Right. She blocked me almost immediately after oh, okay. I made those memes about it. She's probably not going to listen to this. No, anyway. probably not. She's not your target demographic. No. But anyway, so that was it. And yeah. there was a moment where people thought that like maybe she would see the light, where she would like get away from this kind of weird cancel culture conglomerate. She apparently had participated in multiple cancellation campaigns in the past. Um, she hopped on to the meme page of somebody, I don't know if she knew or not, who like she had ran a cancellation campaign against the admin of that. The admin had made a post in relation to what was happening before she made her final statement, which we'll get into in a second. And she jumped in and was like, I think this is about me and stuff. And like people were like, literally going like, I will be your friend. Like, please, like, no, this is <laughs> bullshit. Like, I mean, really, but in a kind way, just like you need to get away from this, these people. And this the cult. the cult, really. They were like, leave the yeah. fucking cult. We will like advocate for you. We're not gonna like hold grudges. We're here for you. And so there was a moment where I was like, oh wow, like this is cool. And then she did the worst possible <laughs> response that still has me like so she made a post apologizing again for things she doesn't really have to apologize for. Worse, she said she was hiring an accountability pod. That killed right. me. Which I didn't ever, I've never heard of an accountability pod, but it's apparently no. And if you look it up on Google, it's like, it's a thing, like, mm -hmm. especially in these kind of like hyper woke areas like Portland and San Francisco, where you can hire what are essentially accountability doulas <sighs> to like check in on you and make sure you're holding yourself accountable, cleansing your soul, doing the work. Doing the work. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Just make sure you're doing the yeah. work. And these processes apparently last 13 to 26 months. I don't know, such an arbitrary number, right? But yeah, and you are compensating the people within your accountability pod. For that long? Wow. Yeah, and that's the route that she decided to go. So, I mean, she's a ridiculous person. I have no problem yeah. saying that, like, because I think people that think this way are an active danger to our political viability as like a broader queer community. Because we as leftists, we should be focusing on advancing our material concerns and improving our material lives, not necessarily focusing on all of these little like quibbling like over who has the right to talk right. about transformative justice. I really feel if softcore trauma had just like really said, this is so stupid. It would have been iconic. Yeah. People would have been celebrating it. Her entire audience would have. And instead she released this like statement. I went on her stories like after the statement and everything and like she was posting like daily updates on her like 
meeting. Here's my schedule for the day. Blah, blah, blah. This class on how to be a better, like, whatever. I don't know. Insanity. And like posting like a daily like schedule of how she's being accountable. And I was like, wow, we have really gone down the rabbit hole. It's so scary. Like It's yeah. And these people think they're being rational. They think this is like the mm-hmm. rational kind of anti-carceral approach to like dealing with it. When my whole <laughs> thing is like, there are abusers and our admits. I'm not saying there aren't. There are like shitty people that yeah. probably need to be called out. But this entire performative kind of like process, almost always against people that don't actually really necessarily deserve it, is insane. Well, I want to wrap us up here with asking you, what do you think we do? I don't know. Do you have a, do you know what we do to get away from all of this? Short answer, no, (laughs) but I have some thoughts on this. I feel like the only way to answer these types of questions are in kind of corny ways. But I feel like we need to just start seeing each other as humans. Here's my thing. When I'm in a good mood and I feel like going out into the world and I live in not the most conservative part of Texas, but I interact with a lot of like conservative, like older people people, etc. I'm at this point in my transition, I'm visibly trans. I'm a very tall woman, you know, I'm a large girl. And when I go out into the world, it's like, I know what some of these people are thinking. But if I can approach that person in a way that is like separate from our identities, and I'm not focused on our identity, I'm just focused on that human connection. It, I have meaningful, kind words to people who probably are watching Fox News and probably are seeing all these things about trans people. And in my experience, what that kind of communication does is it makes that person go, okay, well, those people seem crazy, but I know some good trans people, or I've met a good trans person, or et cetera. And I hate that we have to think about it in the terms like that, like an unhinged trans person versus a rational trans person. But that's the position we're at. That's what the media Mm -hmm. is presenting to us as or to the society as. I've noticed more specifically that the media seems to have very little interest in people like you and me, Carmen, who are not reactionaries, who can call it like it is without trying to score social capital off of it. I think this also comes from maybe just us having grown up in conservative places where we we really don't have a choice but to interact with these people who probably hate our guts. And I have found that there's humanity in everyone, regardless of if they're wearing Mm -hmm. a MAGA hat or not. And regardless of if they're like a blue hair and pronouns, like (laughs) everyone has like their humanity, but we use identity to almost categorize Mm -hmm. people into these little boxes and take away the individual parts that make them who they are, which may not be, which can be both good and bad because people, believe it or not, are a combination of both. Absolutely. And I think I'll go further and just say, I think often the need to like continue to classify yourselves and like is detracting from that humanity. It's further dividing and it's like this whole flag, like culture of like, the flags and shit mm-hmm. and how it's just like everybody has their own flag yeah. now and it's like it's I don't like <laughs> I don't like confusing people that's not a good way of yeah. operating in the world I want people to see me as a woman if they identify me as trans that's okay I'm not at a point where I'm not going to be clockable at this point in my life but it's like as long as we're showing basic respect to one another, that's all I care about at the end of the day. I'm The reality is most of these people I'm not going to ever see again. But yeah. me being the standoffish jerk, making assumptions, 
that's what that person potentially could be doing to me as well. And I'm a real believer in taking the high road and just trying to be the bigger person, even in situations where maybe that person doesn't deserve my kindness or my care. Well, thank you for spending time with me today, Callie. I really appreciate it. You had some wonderful thoughts to share. Can you tell everyone where they can find you? Stuff like Um, that? Sure. Currently, you can really just find me on my Instagram page, which is at progesterone.barbie. I might be setting up a Substack soon, but I'll have the link for that on the page. So so just Instagram at progesterone.barbie. All right, y'all, that is it for this week's episode of Beauty Translated. I know what we discussed today is a lot to think about. I hope you keep an open mind as we continue into season two. I want to give one last thank you to Callie Williams for joining us today. And as always, I'm curious to know your thoughts as well. So please feel free to engage with me over on the Beauty Translated Instagram write in at beautytranslated at gmail.com. And please, if you are new to the pod, check out our previous episodes. And as always, stay beautiful, y'all. Bye. Beauty Translated is hosted by me, Carmen Laurent, and produced by Kurt Guerin and Jessica Kreinchich, with production assistance from Jennifer Bassett. Special thanks to Ali Perry and Ali Cantor for their support. Our theme song is composed by Aaron Kaufman. Beauty Translated is proud to be part of the Outspoken Network from iHeart Podcasts. For more iHeart Podcasts, listen on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Infinity Presents, a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from The Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Fear of the unknown is the greatest fear of all. And for millions of Americans, there is no greater unknown than Alzheimer's disease. I'm Dana Torito, a writer and Alzheimer's advocate. On my podcast, The Memory Whisperer, I strive to calm your fears about the disease through thoughtful conversations with experts, care partners, and more. Action is the antidote for fear. Listen to The Memory Whisperer on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast.